Welcome to Nighttime Conversations with Steve and Freya, where we take on the deeper subjects of relationships, life, love, sex, and personal happiness. I'm your host, Freya Norton, and I'm here with Steve McElwin. Remember to like and subscribe. Tonight, we're interviewing someone with a wonderful perspective on relationships, the person inadvertently responsible for bringing Steve and I together. Leah Marshall is a self-proclaimed relationship junkie who identifies as Solo Polly. She's the founder and leader of the Esther Perel Discussion Group on Facebook, a community of almost 12,000 members from across the globe who regularly discuss relationships, intimacy, sex, desire, and infidelity. She's also the creator of Song Therapy, a video series which breaks down the relationship dysfunction in popular songs. I will post all of these links in the show notes, as well as some other resources generously gifted by Leah. All right, I'd like to start the conversation off. Uh, Leah, uh, I want to tell you something. Is that you're, you're my hero in a way. Uh, the reason being is because you've created the Esther Perel Discussion Group. Uh, so for our listening audience, Esther Perel is a world-famous relationship counselor, very non-judgmental, very open and frank about really touchy conversations, such as how do you deal with an affair when you decide you don't want to leave? How do you work through that? So Esther Perel is the relationship counselor, and Leah has created a group called the Esther Perel Discussion Group on Facebook, and she's done an awesome job in maintaining the spirit of Esther Perel in our group uh, maintaining a, a, an environment where people can be open and vulnerable and frank about what's really happening in their lives and, uh, and feel safe to be able to do that in this environment. So, uh, Leah, you're my hero. Talk to me. <laughs> Talk to me about this. How did you start this group and, and how did you get in contact with the Esther Perel? How did you make this all happen? Yeah, um, I started the group after seeing Esther live at an event um, I had just been ghosted and she got up on stage and she spoke for about 20 minutes and then ended her talk with in dating and relationships were often picked for a role that we didn't audition for. And it just struck me that the, wow. guy, who, yeah, the guy who ghosted me, he had clearly picked me for a role that I didn't audition for. You know, he, I didn't realize this at the time, but he was just out of a long-term relationship and not looking for anything serious. And I hadn't been in a relationship for a while and was really looking for something meaningful. So I just remember seeing her and realizing how much I wanted to have meaningful conversations about what she shared and um, similar topics and didn't really have a community um, built in to do that. So I think that night I created the group with no idea that it would become what it is today. How long Beautiful. Ago, how long yeah. ago did you create the group? It's been um, three years. Okay. Yeah. You've got around 12,000 members and growing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's my purpose and my passion, and I'm so honored to do it. Well, thank you for being here tonight. So a lot of these people who are going to be listening to this podcast um, are not going to know. So we're talking about polyamory or non-monogamy, and yeah. they're not really going to be sure what that means. And, and I happen to know from my work that people imagine and that it's having sex whenever you want with whoever you want, yeah. which Free is a kind all. of skit. Yeah. Which is kind <laughs> of scary to think about. So can you tell us what it means to like in your mind, what does yeah. polyamory actually mean? 
Yeah, so to me, polyamory is simply the practice of more than one intimate relationship. So we're talking both emotional intimacy and physical intimacy with more than one partner. And this is the important part with the informed consent of everyone involved. So it's essentially rooted in an outlook that love is not zero sum, meaning that me loving one person doesn't necessarily detract from my ability to love another and might even amplify my love for everyone involved. Right. This doesn't mean that it's necessarily about having sex with lots of people. See, it's so funny because <laughs> I don't even think about that. Like, I'm a, I'm a very physical person, but when I started to think about my polyamory why, um, why I chose it, having sex with lots of people was like really, really far down on the list. So for me, choosing it is about alignment with my values. So for example, um, there are a lot of things that people don't realize about polyamory norms. For example, there is a massive emphasis on communication and facing and talking through strong emotions that come up for us in connection. Mm. Um, There is generally an elevation of personal freedom, which is super important to me. I do want you to go through through this list, but when you're done, can you talk about that? Can you say what that actually looks like? Oh, elevation of personal freedom? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I identify specifically as solo poly. Um, And what distinguishes solo poly from, um, I think, what probably people imagine polyamory to be, which is there's a primary couple or like an established couple, and they're engaging with other partners. So with solo poly, you don't even need to be in a relationship. It's more of a life philosophy. Um, that we want to have intimate relationships, but that don't involve sharing a home or having kids or merging finances with intimate partners. So we generally don't identify strongly as part of a couple or a triad. We really prefer to operate and present ourselves as individuals. And we really embrace autonomy as one of our highest values, both our own and that of our partners. See, that's really interesting because I know that a lot of people who have been through a lot of different things in life and who feel like they have a good life and they're pretty happy and they would like to connect with other people, but they have this idea that they can't connect with other people without becoming consumed by a relationship. So it sounds like, yeah, so it sounds like solely poly would actually be a really good concept for people who want their autonomy to consider. Yeah. And there's a wonderful book by Amy Guerin. Uh, She wrote the book Off the Relationship Escalator. So the relationship Mm. escalator is this idea that we date and then we become exclusive and then we move in and then we get married and we merge finances and we get a home and we have kids. And if that path is not appealing, um, I really recommend looking into her stuff. And she also authored the blog solopoly.net which has a ton of great content. If you're drawn to this idea of autonomy um, while still having really meaningful intimacy and connection, um, I can, uh, Freya, I can send you the link to that as well. Oh yeah. Let's, let's post the link in the podcast notes. Great. Because this is a really big deal. I think for people who want connection, I know Mm -hmm. that um, I don't want to eschew relationships completely. I, I want deep connection. I thrive on deep connection, but 
I don't necessarily want the relationship escalator. Yeah, I completely, completely relate to that. <laughs> and it's funny too, because, um, you know, it's only recently that I'm kind of labeling myself as polyamorous or solo poly, but it's really a philosophy that I've been practicing probably for the past decade. It's just mm. always been within me. I just haven't had, you know, the label for it. Leah, did you, um, I'm curious about this. You started off by reading a list of characteristics that you identify with as a solo poly. Did you finish that list or were you still? No, I interrupted. Okay. <laughs> Could you get back to that? Because I'm curious. <laughs> yes. I, I want to hear the rest of that. <laughs> yeah. So this list, it's actually not related to solo poly, but more because Freya had asked me about sex and is like, is polyamory just about having loads of sex? And if you just want to have loads of sex, you know, wouldn't you just stay single? Um, and what I was saying, you know, when I started thinking about choosing poly, it was really about like deep alignment with the things that I most value. And some of those things are the desire for ongoing growth and deeper self-awareness and challenge in relationships. So one of the norms in polyamory is communication. There's a really strong emphasis on communication in advance of things that could happen, probably throughout things that are happening after like proactive communication, you know, like arranging a once a month or once a week check-in to talk about how things are going. And all of that is so deeply appealing to me. And I would say is maybe not necessarily as much of a norm in monogamy. Yeah. No, I think it's a, a lot more common for people to just be like, well, you know, if I don't hear anything, it's all good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting. And no news is good news, right? <laughs> I've really been diving in <laughs> um, kind of in true Leia fashion, um, you know, just listening nonstop to podcasts and reading audiobooks. And that's really the common theme is in polyamorous relationships, like the amount of communication is, um, is really to the max. And <laughs> it's funny because I just had a bit of a relationship ending um, with my first experience with Polly, and someone was asking me about jealousy. And I'm not someone who experiences a lot of jealousy, but what I was noticing is I was feeling envious of the conversations that they were getting to have about what had just transpired and the feelings that came up and working through them. And, you know, communication relationship is like a huge source of like, um, I don't, I don't know if I'd say pleasure, but it's, I'm so drawn to it and I'm so, um, yeah, I'm just so turned on by it. So the idea that that would be a norm within this relationship structure is super attractive to me. So Leah, um, something that's just hit me is all the things you mentioned are not only useful within the context of a, yeah. of an, of an open relationship or poly, they're useful within any relationship. The, the theme of openness, making sure that everyone involved yeah. is aware of what's going on, uh, communication, heightened self-awareness, personal growth. That's all valuable stuff, regardless of what relationship you're in. hundred percent. And what's interesting too, is I feel like the norm in monogamy is let's try not to face the uncomfortable stuff. And if there is something uncomfortable, uh, let's maybe see if it'll just go away. Um, whereas in Pali, there's a real embracing of the, the tricky emotions. So for example, like jealousy is one that comes up commonly. I mentioned that's not a big one for me. Um, there are other ones that are more challenging for me, but let's just use jealousy as the example. It's really, it's just very commonly understood that, okay, 
we often like vilify jealousy. Like it's often seen as, okay, if I'm going to, if I'm going to feel jealous about something, I'm just going to avoid it. I'm going to avoid the discomfort mm-hmm. of that feeling. Whereas in polyamory, it's actually seen as like a positive to lean into jealousy because then you get to the fears that are beneath it. And then you get to face those fears and you get to work through them um, and, and work through that emotion. And it's a very different like philosophy and approach. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to just say something about that specifically in, from what I've experienced in a monogamous relationship, if something makes your partner jealous, the norm is, mm-hmm. oh, well, don't do that. Mm-hmm. So let's just right. say, right. Um, and, and you know what? I, when I w- first started my work, I was a massage therapist. Like, yeah. I went to school for massage therapy and the school was all, it was all girls, all women. And a thing was in school was actually like some of these women had husbands who were like, you're only allowed to massage women. You're not allowed to massage. Now this is therapeutic massage. So because the husbands would be, would be jealous if they were to be touching other men. And this is a normal thing where if you are going, if you do something that makes your partner jealous, your role in a monogamous relationship is to stop doing that thing so that they don't have, they can avoid that feeling. And in polyamory, from my understanding, instead of controlling your partner's actions, instead you look within and say, well, why am I having this feeling? And what can I do to mitigate that feeling? Maybe I need, maybe there's some healing or some personal work that I need to do. Uh, Maybe I just need to do you know what I mean? Like you, you, inter- you have to face your demons rather than controlling other people. Yeah, Am I, is that correct? And what, and what you're, I'm, you're I'm totally correct, here? but I do want to add a caveat, which is yeah, a common, um, let's not call it a mistake, but a common, um, action Tra- trait <laughs> characteristic. Action. Yeah. <laughs> that couples that are, that started out as, um, monogamous that are interested in opening up make, So um, let's say there's one person who needs to move a little bit slower, is a little less comfortable with the idea, and there's another person who might be a little bit more open. So generally what happens is the more open person says, okay, more closed person, you can set my rules of engagement so that you feel safe and so that we don't ruffle feathers within this established couple, um, and then I can play and you can feel safe and everything will be good. Um, and it was funny because the other day I was in, I'm in a a couple closed um, polyamory groups on Facebook and there was a woman who posted, it was a list of about 150 different activities that someone could do with a partner. And they basically went through all of them and like, yes, no, maybe checklist, um, what the, what one of the partners could do or experience with another person. And that kind of happened to me in this, di- in this, my kind of initial experience with polyamory was the guy uh, identified as poly, the woman identified as monogamous. They were trying to open things up. And as a way to make it safe for the woman, the guy said, okay, anytime I want to do something with a partner, I'm going to get your permission first. So mm. it turned into kind of this almost parental dynamic where you're asking, right. where you're asking for permission. And then I, I experienced two things. Number one, I had zero privacy because they needed permission. And so everything was being shared. And then I also felt like 
a random person had more say over what I do with an experience with my body than I did. Yeah. And so, and so I, I wanted to share that because oftentimes when couples start to open up, there's this desire at all costs, let's protect the established couple. And so I think you need to be willing to feel, to, to realize it's a death to the previous relationship, to the monogamous relationship, and you're stepping into a whole new one. And if your number one priority is at all costs, protect the, the existing relationship, it's not going to be a good experience for everyone involved. I mean, because mm-hmm. if, if, if the core idea is personal autonomy and freedom, and you're putting, you're putting all of these rules on yourself as well as another person who hasn't really consented to having these rules imposed on them and their romantic experience, it's, it's probably not going to go well. Leah, I, I'm hearing something that th- this could be just my mind. So correct me if, if you're yeah. not on the same page. My mind is thinking, okay, so I'm seeing two things playing out. One is my ability to, to step into my authentic self to a greater degree. That's, I, I would hope that yeah. I could do that. And then there is the fear of, well, if I become more authentic, then my partner will like me less. So I will sacrifice my authenticity and do less of that just so that my partner doesn't get upset. Are we on the same page? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like a schizophrenic dynamic where yeah. on the one hand, you're, you're yearning for authenticity and autonomy. And on the other hand, you're, uh, yeah, you're almost playing like a parental role um, yeah. for uh, helping this partner avoid discomfort. I'll sacrifice who I am just to make sure my partner doesn't get upset and possibly leave me. Right. Yeah. Yeah touchy. That is a touchy topic. It's super touchy. And I know uh, Freya and I were chatting before this and she was asking me about um, opening up and can it work with, you know, a couple that has been monogamous. And there are a couple things that I wanted to share. Number one, both people need to be comfortable with the death of the previous relationship. So When you're starting a new relationship with someone, you're co-creating it together. But when you're changing an existing one, especially where one person is monogamous and the other is poly, it can really highlight potential incompatibility and lead to power struggles and hurt. So let's say, again, we'll use this example where the woman leans more monogamous and the guy leans more poly and just the caveat is I don't want everyone to think that that's always the dynamic because it's really not, but that's just Mm -hmm. the example I experienced. So that's the one that I'm using. So I think in him seeing me going on a date with me, it, it brought up the trigger of this potential incompatibility and then led as a way to, um, to deal with like the, the fear and the triggers that were coming up. Uh, The woman essentially said, I don't want you to talk to Leah, to her partner. She said that um, for two weeks while I figure out what I'm comfortable with. So it led to then her asserting her power over him as a way to deal with the discomfort. Okay, I felt out of control. Now I'm going to assert my power power to feel more in control. So so in order to successfully open up a relationship, uh, I don't think you need to start from scratch. I think it can be done. 
But I do think that the couple needs to be comfortable with the death of the previous relationship rather than creating all of these rules and safeguards to protect it. That's a really interesting point. The, because, and this, I do want to stay on this subject or at least come back to it because I happen to know that a lot of my particular clients and people who would be speaking to me are coupled and they're open to the idea, but also worried. Is this something that can really work for somebody who's actually in a couple? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to interrupt for a second. I I think uh, just for the benefit of our listening audience, I believe when Leah is saying death of the relationship, she doesn't mean you and I are finished. No. What, I th- what I think you're saying is the way we used to relate yeah. to each other is now changing, right. possibly in a big way. Yeah. And it, it might even bring us closer together. It might yes. even in amplify each of our authenticity and allow us to fall in love into a much greater degree than we've ever experienced before because we're now being more deeply authentic with each other. Yeah. It's almost like you're in an airplane and you have a parachute and you need to jump in order to get to that level that Steve just described where it, oh, it, I think it's so tempting to think like if I love someone deeply and I want to maintain that relationship, I just need to hold on as tight as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I think in this case, you just need to like <laughs> five, four, three, two, one, jump. <laughs> You know, you you can't like hold on with a death grip to the previous relationship dynamic. And especially I want to highlight, like, I actually got pretty hurt in this situation because they essentially like pulled the rip cord on opening up when one of the partners felt too much discomfort with it. And so what I would what I would encourage and challenge couples that are exploring opening up is to really be a hundred percent on the same page um, before involving a third person. And also to, um, yeah, to, to realize, you know, it's funny because there's, there's a very common first step to opening up, which is called a triad. Um, so it's, it's like the established couple will bring an additional person. It's generally a bisexual woman into their relationship dynamic, but it's kind of by their rules. So generally they want her to both, to be into both people equally. So no one feels left out. Um, they generally don't want her to be with them alone. So it's like, if if the established couple is always together when they're engaging in sexual activity with another person, then no one will get jealous, you know, uh, rules, (laughs) rules like that. And it generally just implodes. It's funny because in the polyamorous community, triads are known as almost more of like an advanced dynamic to navigate because instead of there's like a dyadic relationship and then there's another dyadic relationship, you have, um, what's either considered four or seven different relationships because you have partner A with partner B, partner A with partner C, you have, and then obviously the other dynamics, and then you have the the three people's relationship when they're all together is in itself almost like a separate relationship. And then even the, the individual three people's relationships with their self is in a three additional more relationships. So it's triads are often seen as like either four or seven (laughs) different relationships all kind of happening overlaid and concurrently. So that's, that's like an example of a, of a common mistake where it's like, 
okay, this is really scary for us, so we're going to do it in what's quote unquote the safest way possible. Um, but really, it, it's about kind of controlling all of these factors, meaning the third person that you're bringing in, as a way to to kind of protect your experience. And it's really, I I felt very dehumanized when I realized mm-hmm. kind of what was going on, and it was never done intentionally. These are like these are good people. Um, they they definitely didn't mean to do it in in a way that would hurt me, but unintentionally because of the um, because permission needed to be granted before every act of physical intimacy. And then as a result of that, I didn't really have privacy because my texts and my sexting and everything was just being revealed as a way to soothe and kind of comfort the monogamous partner who had a lot of discomfort about it. Well, I think in a situation like that, it would be almost more appropriate for them if they wanted to play with the idea of a third party is to, um, and I'm not being crude here, but hire a professional sex yep. worker hundred percent, for the male to have these sexual interludes with because you're, you're paying her not to be human. Yeah, you're paying yeah. her to service you rather than, you know, you're a woman in your own right who has her own needs, her own feelings, and they cannot respect that because they're too busy yeah. You know, it's very, very, very selfish. And I, and I think actually, I would imagine that that's the worst way to open up into poly. Yeah. The same thing happens in the swinger community is a, a couple uh, decide we will play with, uh, with a single woman mm-hmm. uh, for the same reason. And uh, the single woman ends up becoming the toy on the shelf rather than another person that we bring into our relationship. Right. It becomes the, the, yeah, when we're done with her, we'll put her on the shelf and hope that she hangs out waiting for us until we call upon her again. Rather than you're part of us, we're relating to you as people, as close friendship, rather than uh, we'll let you know, we'll like you just, you just hang tight until we need you again. 100%. Yeah. There were actually a few other things that I wanted to share for couples that are looking at opening up. Um, one of the things I experienced is when my partner's primary partner got very triggered by his and my connection, and she said, I need you to stop talking to Leia, he became emotionally unavailable, physically unavailable for sure, but he also wasn't able to be present with me. Yeah, he shut down. Emotionally because of his partner's um, request. So one thing to consider is, let's say you're part of a couple that's exploring opening up, think through that scenario. If you bring a third person into your dynamic, whether it's a V situation where the third person is only dating one partner, or, or if it's a triad where the, th- where the third person is dating both of you, if one of the uh, established couple partners gets triggered, is the other partner going to be allowed to be emotionally available to that third person. And then similarly, if one of the established partners gets triggered, is he going to be allowed to set his own boundaries that shows care towards both people's needs instead of taking on his primary partner's boundaries and needs as his own? Mm -hmm. This sure looks a lot like authenticity versus um, compliance and trying to make someone else happy. Yeah. And control. I have a question, which is a spur of the moment question. Yeah. I, neither, neither of you know about it, <laughs> but um, 
So I was speaking with a wonderful person lately, um, Mm -hmm. and she's in a relationship where um, it's been sexless for a good 15 years. And she said that the relationship is great. They're best friends. They cohabitate. Mm -hmm. They live together. They love each other. It's wonderful. And that doesn't want to change. Neither of them want to change that. It's great as it is. And her sexuality has recently just out of the blue. She's not sure why, whether it's a hormonal shift or something else, but she suddenly has become desirous of sexual intimacy. And her husband is not interested in reigniting the sexual thing they have. And he's also not the kind of guy, like if you consider a mature couple, a lot of men grew up in an era where they didn't talk about stuff. Yeah. So she brought up the idea of a hall pass and he's like, well, you know, oh, he he became kind of awkward and and then the discussion kind of got pushed aside. So my question is, is don't ask, don't (laughs) tell ever a good idea for couples who are really secure with each other, but where one person maybe wants something that the other person isn't willing to offer. Yeah. I first want to add that in polyamory, and again, this goes back to the question of like, is polyamory just about loads of sex? In polyamory, it's super common to have relationships that mean a lot to partners, but that are not sexual. So you might have um, you might have a partner, maybe they're, um, they have children together, or they just have always been very, very close, but just haven't had a sexual element to their dynamic. There might be someone who's asexual, and that's just not kind of a part of their, their pleasure map. Or there might be someone who has a disability um, or has, has had bad sexual trauma, um, and it's very triggering for them to be sexual. So a whole host of reasons. It's very common to have... Um, say like a primary polyamorous couple that's not sexual and then they meet their sexual needs or maybe it's a need for a very specific kink that one partner is not interested in on the side. So that's super common. In terms of don't ask, don't tell, I think it's always important to get beneath the why of the don't ask, don't tell. Is it about an avoidance of discomfort or is it out of respect for your partner's Uh, privacy and intimacy. So for example, I I shared like the the example of my first poly experience, which is where um, I I didn't really have privacy in my intimacy. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't getting consent for uh, my partner to share about our intimacy with his partner. If the don't ask, don't tell is done by one partner out of respect for the third person. Like I believe intimacy is very sacred and it's something that's, that's shared and that's private. And just because I'm the primary partner, it doesn't give me a right to know the ins and outs of my, you know, of their sexual experiences. Yeah. If, if that's the why behind it, I think that makes a ton of sense. But if it's about, okay, this is really uncomfortable for me and I'm going to avoid that discomfort by just not, not knowing about it, I think that that's a really, really bad. I mean, that's almost like non-ethical monogamy. It's, like, it's almost well, like denial. Yeah. Uh, yes, but, and I, I'm only asking to play advocate here, but sure. what, if, 
what if the other partner who's not interested in intimacy, sexual intimacy, he's look super interested in the relationship. Yeah. yeah. Her, um, but he's not interested in sexual intimacy and he doesn't really want to talk about it much. Yeah. I would also add that I think the request for don't ask, don't tell, it's not always set in stone. So it might be at the very beginning, they mm-hmm. need a boundary of just don't tell me about it. And then let's yeah. say they see their partner developing a really intimate bond with someone else. Maybe they'll get curious or. Uh-huh. Actually, that's a really good point. Um, I see, I see that a lot where, or in the podcast that I've listened to, there are a lot of couples that started out with don't ask, don't tell, because they just weren't ready to deal with those big feelings. And then as they developed additional skills and they saw their partner's relationship, then they, then they wanted to engage with it. I'd like to add that if I was the person who asked my partner, I'm not going to ask you, don't tell me. I would say the onus is upon me to change yeah. that situation to then tell my partner, okay, you know that thing I said a couple of weeks ago, don't tell me. Uh, I'm, I've shifted now. I, I would like to have a more open idea of what's going on. So let's, are you now comfortable shifting to uh, being more open about this? Because yeah. I know I, I shut it down two weeks ago. Are you comfortable now opening up more? Yeah. And another mm. thing, Freya, um, for your client is maybe they have a clause in the don't ask, don't tell policy where let's say something really scary happens, like the condom breaks and the person has an STI, or let's say there was, God forbid, abuse, that you know, if there were any um, health or physical safety concerns, that then they could break the don't ask, don't tell policy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say just from personal experience, um, and I'll give a really specific example. It's not, you know, it's, it's almost, it's the thought of it that's worse than really yeah. actually living it. And yeah. one thing that my ex and I went through is, so I, I have my practice where I do um, a lot of things with clients and I, I taught and, and my partner and I were never, this particular partner, we were never open to um, opening up our relationship. Okay. I was, he was not. Yeah. And, and, and so we didn't, but you know, I do massage for people and I do a lot of, I, I do intimate massage. I do yeah. tantric massage and I taught him to do the massage as well. And he was phenomenal. And one of the interesting things was that neither one of us wanted to see the other person engaged in an intimate massage with another yeah. person because it was sort of like, I just don't want to see that. It's okay yeah. that you're doing it. Yeah. But I think that if I saw it, it would, hurt me or I would feel jealous or it would be weird. So what happened was one time we decided to do, um, somebody requested it and we decided to do a forehand massage, the two of us together working on somebody. And, um, we thought it would be weird. Yeah. And you know, and you know what? It wasn't, it it was actually a really beautiful experience. And then, so we did that on, on both males and females and it was like, wow, this was amazing. And I felt like it brought us, it almost like it's, it brought us closer together to have that trust in each other and yeah. feeling it was a really, I don't, there's no way to describe it until you actually do it. And that changed something in me where I felt like, you know what? I feel like his intimate interaction with another human is really, really beautiful. Yeah. And I know that he had a lot of female clients and 
it was like a warmth in my heart that yeah. they were having this like beautiful thing. So I'm just saying that sometimes where it initially seems scary, yeah. um, w- when you go through it, when you bite the bullet, you go through it, it's not that scary and it brings you closer. Yeah, it's so true. Um, I hear again in a lot of the podcasts I listen to that originally the rules that were established early on became things that they completely scratched and then ultimately like the greatest sources of joy for them. And it's often just what we fear or imagine in our mind versus what actually is. Um, And there's a really good um, kind of template, almost like think of Mad Libs template that you can use to get to the fear underneath the jealousy. So it goes when blank happens So let's use the example you just used of your partner. So when my partner is erotically massaging another woman, I make it mean, you know, I'm not good enough. He's going to like it more than he likes it with me. He's going to leave me, um, you know, et cetera, the whole whole litany. And then my fear is that means that I am not enough, not attractive, et cetera. And that eventually blank will happen. Um, You know, our relationship will end. Um, What are some of the other things? Uh, My Uh, partner won't love me. me. Yeah, my partner won't love me. All of those things. And it's a great way. It's like, and then that will happen. And then that will happen. And then then you can get to the actual fear versus like the surface level jealous response. I think that getting to that, what the ultimate or the eventual fear is, is one of the most important things that you can do for these sort of knee-jerk reactions Yeah. when it, when it comes to your relationship. And I'm not even talking just Polly. I'm talking Any everything. Any relationship, yeah. Be, because most of our controlling actions are based on a fear, which isn't even real. Yeah, 100%. And when you get there, and you realize, oh, this, you know, this fear made sense when I was five years old, but it doesn't make sense for me right now with this partner. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> this is like one of the reasons that I'm so drawn to it is because I'm such a growth jer- uh, junkie. Like growth is really one of my greatest passions and sources of pleasure, as well as like deeper self-awareness and being kind of challenged personally through relationships. And you really get that. If you have a partner who kind of shares a similar um, goal or value and who's up for the communication element, there's so much personal growth that you can experience through these dynamics because you're essentially facing the fear head on. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. choosing to grow, choosing to face the fear rather than letting the fear control you. Yeah. I I was in a a don't ask, don't tell situation uh, fairly recently. And it was, it seemed quite innocent. Yeah. Met a new woman and I told her, look, look, I'm a very progressive person. So if you're a Trump fanatic, please don't tell me because I I don't want to know about it. (gasps) It, In the weeks later, I realized, holy, I (laughs) I just, I just put her into a really no win situation. I had no clue. I've, I've basically told her, if you are leaning that way, lie to Steve because yeah. he doesn't, he can't handle it. Yeah. And, and if you're not, uh, don't, don't tell him anyways, because he doesn't want to yeah. take the risk. So yeah. um, I, I contacted her to fix that and said, uh, I, I withdraw that. Please, uh, please forgive me for my, my request. Yeah. yeah. 
That's beautiful. There were two other things that I wanted to add for couples that are um, considering this possibility. Two other reasons why I'm super drawn to it. Um, so one is I've noticed even just as I've approached dating, rather than meeting someone and seeing a great quality that they have, but then also a list of qualities that they don't <laughs> necessarily have that would be important to me, I can really just appreciate them and that quality for what it is instead of needing it to be something more. Um, and I love how I show up with other people when I come from that place. Th that's, that's hugely, that's, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's a theme I often talk about. I resonate with that deeply. And that yeah. is each person allow that connection to evolve naturally rather than pushing it as in, you've got to be my next partner. You and I've got to have sex. Is that going to happen? Is that going to happen? Just let it evolve. Yeah. Yeah. And then additionally, you know, it's so funny. Like when we think about our, our community, our communities, our friendship circles, we would never think, oh, I just want to have one friend because it would be offensive to that one friend if I have others. You know, it, it would make them feel less than or not enough, you know, because we live in a society that elevates community and social connection. No, like a lot of friends is a great thing. Um, and it's actually like a huge indicator of like happiness and health um, from a lot of research studies. Yeah. But because of monogamy, we have this idea that, um, that one person should complete us and meet all of our needs. And so um, it's, it's kind of like you really need to do some questioning of conditioning in order to get to a place where you can realize I can have an interaction or a relationship with someone and feel a lot of energy and newness and excitement from it. And I can bring that to an existing relationship and it can actually amplify and energize it. Just as yes. if you might go to, yes. you know, you might meet a new friend and then you bring stuff that you experience with that new friend to like a long time friendship. That can be a really positive thing for everyone involved. And yet, because we're so wired for monogamy, it doesn't occur to a lot of people that that same dynamic can happen in our romantic relationships and doesn't necessarily have to detract from any of them. I would agree with that. And I experienced that a lot in my own relationships where I would, because um, I was often with partners who wanted and expected our relationship to exist in a vacuum and somehow to thrive in a vacuum, which it doesn't do. And when I would go out into the world and meet um, new friends, okay, so these are not yeah. people that I was sexual with, but you know, new blood, um, have new conversations, have interesting and unique experiences that filled me with energy and excitement and yeah. life and vibrance. And I was excited to go home and talk to my yeah. partner and tell them about it. And there was like much more to me that I was bringing yeah. home. And, and yeah. I liked that. I thought, Oh, this is really great. And I believe that it's the same way with non-monogamy because it's not even about the sex. It's about, yeah opening yourself to new people and experiences. Yeah, 100%. And it was interesting too, because again, in this uh, initial experience, I had me and his primary partner were so different. I'm super athletic. She was very artsy. Her background was theater. They were very into kink and BDSM. And I'm into a lot of other sexual things, but not necessarily that. 
I am like super independent and really value autonomy and freedom. And I think that they really much more valued um, to be, I don't want to use a derogatory word, but just like super connected and with each mm-hmm. other quite a bit. They really liked socializing with friends and going to parties. I'm more introverted and enjoy like one-on-one deep conversation and connection. I like to live alone. They like to live together. So it was like, there were so many points of differentiation. And I also know, like, I tend to be very in touch with feelings and emotions and love to go deep into my own and to explore other people's. And I think his primary partner was a little bit um, less that way. And, and I think he, he and I both have like needs in that area. And so I think I was able to help fill his bucket in that area, which I would hope and imagine that when he went back to his primary partner, he was coming back with kind of that, that fullness and that sense of satisfaction that would then just lead to better things all around, you know? But Definitely. Was, yeah, but it really does take the, the inner work in order to be in a place to receive that gift. I, I, the, something that jumps to my mind is um, that specific scenario that you just mentioned is if the person's mind embraces the belief that this thing that Leah is, oh man, that is just so awesome. That's so great. Yeah. I now have to own that yeah. and I have to make sure I own that so it never goes away. That's when the problem starts happening and that the, the partner starts feeling you're neglecting me. You've shifted your focus. Now you want to leave me for Leah as opposed to, no, no, this isn't a matter of ownership. It's just a matter of enjoying this specific experience with this person. That's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I know Freya had asked me, what are some of the belief systems that are normalized in monogamy that need to be like examined and possibly let go of in order to mm-hmm. consider this? And one is that my partner is mine and mine alone. Yeah. And that if they enjoy an experience with someone else, that it means that I'm inherently, as a result, not enough. I'm deficient. I'm defective. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not enough. Yeah. So can we talk about that? Because I think that is one (laughs) of the biggest, um, I would say, obstacles is that, am, am I... Am I going to feel like I'm not good enough or that I'm not enough for my partner if I let them, and I know I'm using terms that yeah. all three of us are going to bristle at, but <laughs> if, <laughs> I let, if, if I can do this, if I approve of this, yeah, <laughs> if, if they are to have a relationship with somebody else as well as me, doesn't that mean I'm not good enough? Does it mean that, um, you know, am I not going to feel hurt? Can can you talk to me about that? Yeah, it gets back to that model, that template that I shared. You know, when um, when when my primary partner um, has a sexual experience with someone else, I make it mean what? And then my fear is that means that what? I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. That that I can't meet all of his needs. And I think it just it goes back to you really have to do the inner work. Like if you want all of the rewards of this, which is that we don't need to get every single need met by one person and we don't need to only have sex with one person for, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. It's that the price of admission is doing this inner work and Mm -hmm. questioning all of the programming that we've been given. And um, it's not to say at all that uh, monogamy is 
less than. It's just if you're drawn to the ideals that I've shared throughout this conversation, then the price right. of admission is the inner work. I think that a lot of people do chafe under monogamy, yeah. but feel like there's no other safe option. Yeah. So within the context of this conversation, I want to spin a positive light on a monogamy. I use this expression, uh, organic monogamy, meaning that yeah. if you meet somebody and you're inspired to be focusing on them for a while, that's not a commitment to saying, I will never have sex with anybody else. Right. It's just, I'm inspired to be focusing on you. That's what I'd rather do. So I'm not asking you to limit yeah. yourself. It's just that that's what I choose for myself, that I'm not interested in looking elsewhere at this time. And yeah. that might last years. And, yeah. and that's fine. So that organic monogamy or organically evolved monogamy is a different thing than uh, stepping into a relationship and saying, I commit to not having sex with anybody else except you until we break up. The funny thing about that, Steve, is if you want somebody to desire something, just put an obstacle in front of it. <laughs> well, that's, and... the that's the funny thing about the <laughs> rules thing is that yeah. the very thing that generally new couples to open relationships do makes them want the forbidden fruit yeah. so yeah. much more. <laughs> yeah, it's and, easy. It's easy when your relationship energy is burning to say, oh man, sex is so easy. It's just so easy to be with her. She's just the most perfect woman in the world. It's just so easy and effortless to get along with her. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then your relationship energy fades away. And then you have whatever's left over, the, the real foundation of your relationship. So, but not, but not only that, once you have permission, like yeah. if, te if technically, you know, I'm in a relationship, if I have permission to technically explore in any way that I want to, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that I want to. Right, right, 100%. And it's not going to turn into a chaotic free-for-all of screwing a different man every night just because technically I'm not in a closed monogamous relationship. Right. And imagine the difference of a partner coming home, let's say it's a Saturday night and they've just been out with someone and it's nine o'clock and they come home and they come home of their own volition because they want to see you and maybe they want to make love to you or maybe they want to massage you or whatever it might be versus them walking in the door at 9 a.m. because you have ordered them that they need to be home at that time. It's a very different energy. Yeah. Very different. Very different. And also, I'm going to say, I personally believe it's safer. I'm using the term safer in quotations, but it's safer when they know that they can tell you anything Yeah. compared to they can only tell you a very narrow band of things, whether it's experiences that they've had or desires they have, because anything outside of that very narrow band means that they're going to be in trouble. You know what? You're basically yeah. setting, setting them up to hide who they are authentically, like their inner selves, to hide their desires, and you're setting them up to lie. Yeah. And that's why going back to the don't ask, don't tell, um, obviously the lying wouldn't apply in that situation. But it's almost like you're, if you tell someone, I just don't want to hear any of it. It's almost like you're cutting yourself off from all of the, the benefits that could come from that person having that experience. Mm. So let's say, um, let's say they come home after being out and they have like beautiful energy and they're really turned on and they want to make love to you. Like, wouldn't you kind of want to know 
like what's that what's going through your mind like what did you experience that moved you to this place it's like you're kind of cutting yourself off from to to me that's that would be like the you know the goals in the relationship like the juicy moments well because once we remove the whole well they're they're enjoying other people because I'm not good enough. If you, if you, if you remove that human beings have mirror neurons, which means that we love, we love experiencing things through other people. This is why we watch television, why we read novels, why we share stories, why we look at pornography, why we why we listen to things. It's because we actually feel what other people are feeling. We engage when we hear it. So you know, doesn't it make sense that the person that we love most in the whole world, we would feel joy and interest and we would be happy seeing their face light up, seeing them feel confident and inspired and, yeah. and, and lit up versus, you know, we don't have to feel like a piece of shit because they enjoy yeah. inter- interacting with other people. That's okay. just a made, a made up story and it's based yeah. on fear. Yeah. Right, right. 100%. Something important is when people get together, because we don't know about the other person, we're fascinated by them and we want to learn about them. So it looks like an intense focus two ways. I'm focused on her, she's focused on me, and that feels very good. And that's natural in the beginning of a relationship. But as time goes by, we end up building up a database of what we believe the other person yeah. is about. <laughs> and we become yes. less receptive to learning more about them. So if we can just push ourselves to say, I'm going to just challenge my fear and discomfort and I will continue to be curious about my partner. And I will continue to ask her, tell me what this is about. What kind of fantasies do you have? That guy over there, I noticed you looking at him. Yeah, he's gorgeous. Tell me about that. What's going on in your mind? Yeah. If we can continue to be curious, then we can continue to keep on building that interest and focus in each other naturally, just because yeah. we're allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. On day one, when you met somebody and you thought she was gorgeous or he's gorgeous, on day one, our life was full of risk except we didn't know it because what do we got right. to lose? We don't even know them. Yeah. Three years later, our life is still full of risk, but now we're afraid of losing them. So because mm-hmm. of that fear, we're, we're less authentic and less open and less, uh, less willing to take the challenge to say, really, I want to continue learning you. Yeah. Allow, allow me to continue learning you. I want to take the risk. I will deliberately choose to not feel good every now and then and to investigate that and to work through it rather than asking you never Never enter a situation where I will never feel bad. A hundred percent. And since we all met through the Esther Perel discussion group, I wanted to close with a quote by Esther, which goes, we sometimes give up mystery and novelty in hopes of a permanence that does not exist. In our efforts to secure love, we sap the very erotic vitality out of our relationships. When faced with the persistent mystery of the other, we react with anxiety rather than openness and curiosity. We want to make them known, predictable entities so that we're not ever too surprised. In the process, we lose the very mystery and erotic vitality that drew us to them in the first place. In order to see your partner in their element, you have to be able to tolerate giving up your security for their freedom. (laughs) 